0: Welcome to the First Prez podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Good morning. The scripture that we're going to be hanging out in today is found in Paul's second letter to the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, and it's a little bit of a long one. But there's rich stuff in here that has the power uh, to actually encourage us and change our lives. So shall we hear the word of the Lord together? This is from 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you. And peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. Uh, it's great to be with you guys, and I don't know if I expected the opposite of this, but I've been surprised how at home I feel here. Uh, I, think, I think some of that is just being at an eco-church, so I'm an eco-pastor, I've been pastoring an eco-church for 11 years, and so I think some of it is just being, you know, I'm here and like the songs we're singing and what we're doing, it's like, oh, these are my people. All right, okay. So, so that's some of it, and then some of it is being back in Colorado. I, I lived somewhere in Colorado for 11 years. Uh, And so it's really um, encouraging to be back at Elevation. So I would tell you that the somewhere was bolder, but I don't don't want you to hold it against me, so I'm not going to tell you that that's that's where I live. Um, And I did, I worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship doing campus ministry for 14 years. Uh, I've been a pastor of the local church now for 11 years. But the most important thing to know about me relative to this morning's message Uh, Is that I've been married to my wife Wendy for 23 years now. I brought a picture of uh, of my family, and there's and there's a reason. I'm going to introduce you to my family. This isn't just like parental, you know, pride, uh, gratuitous pride here. Uh, There's a reason for this, but that's my lovely wife in the yellow pants, of course. So in the back, in the center, that's Simon, my oldest. He's a sophomore in college. Um, my daughter here is the one with her tongue sticking out of her mouth. She never quite got bolder out of her bloodstream, uh, and so she, she still has kind of a bohemian kind of way about her. She's a senior in high school, about to graduate, and the one who at least is not hiding his face, and so we were pleased with the photo... Uh, is Victor, my youngest. He's 13. He's in middle school. He's in seventh grade right now. And that's my mom, Nancy, over there. We uh, turned our two-car garage into what we call the West Wing, and she retired uh, in in the West Wing and lives with us. And and the reason I um, show you this, really two things. One, if you were curious whether I married up or not, it's really clear I did. And then number two is the scripture that we just read from 2 Thessalonians, keeps making me think about my three kids. Like, it's making me think about my three kids because Paul, what he's doing in the first chapter here is he's kind of, um, he's unpacking and giving us insight into his prayers for the believers in Thessalonica. And so the longer I've been hanging out in this chapter and seeing how Paul prays for them, it's made me reflect on how I pray for my kids. And I do pray for my kids. Uh, Paul, in the 11th verse here that I just read, he says, we pray for you always, right? Now, I can't say that. Uh, I'm not as much of a prayer as Paul, I guess. I can't say I'm always praying for my kids, but I can say I pray for them more than I pray for anyone, including myself. In fact, I've not, you know, I wasn't natively like, like a big time prayer. Probably as a pastor, I shouldn't say that, but just don't tell the people back in St. Louis. But um, it wasn't until I had kids, then I really started to pray. I bet a lot of parents in here can testify to that too, right? And I start praying a lot for my kids, and, and a lot of it's just during the day. I think about them, and I send a prayer up. A lot of it's at tucking time at night, right? I put my hand on their forehead, and, 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 and I pray prayers for them. But it's interesting being in chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, because Paul is like, it's very voyeuristic. The epistles, we get to watch him write a letter to someone else. And he pulls back the curtain on how he prays for them and the manner that he prays and the content that he prays for them. And it kind of has uh, brought me back in touch with, again, with this little niggling I've always had in the back of my head that um, I might not be praying the right things for my kids. So I've been reflecting, uh, and I would say the average prayer that I pray for my kids is something like this, whether it's I just pray it in the day or my hand is on their head at tuck-in time, my most common prayer, content-wise, for my kids is, God, this would be an example. God, would you have Simon meet with encouragement today? Would you just have him meet with encouragement today? And that's it. And, uh, and, and then and if there's a season when he's not meeting with encouragement, I just pray it louder. You ever, you ever do those prayers, <laughs> prayers to God where you're like, no, really, God? Like, I kind of meant that. God, like, have him meet with encouragement, like, really, today? Like he could experience success and people who like him. Could that happen today, Father? Please. I mean it. Amen. (laughs) You know, like I I really mean this. But I've I've always, and that's my most common prayer. And I've always had this niggling of, of thought that I'm not praying enough. And that I haven't finished, quite finished the sentence. And part of that comes from uh, Steve Hayner. an interaction I had with Steve Hayner 20 years ago. Uh, Steve was at one point the uh, president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He was president of Columbia Theological Seminary, member of ECO, great guy. He's gone to be with the Lord after, after you know, the Lord established the work of his hands, beautiful ministry. Uh, but Steve Hayner was uh, about 20 years ago meeting with a group of us college ministers, and he was telling us how his uh, understanding of college ministry had changed since dropping his daughter off at college as a parent. And so he told us the story of how he, um, he went to one of those, you know when you drop your kid off, I've actually done this now, and so the college will throw um, gatherings for parents who are freaking out, like on move-in day. And, and I, think, I think there's two reasons they do it. I think one reason is uh, to just get the parents together and go, shh, it's okay, it's, okay. it's going to be fine. And I think part of it is to get them out of their kid's hair so their kids can actually start the next chapter of their life. But Steve was telling the story that he was at one of these like mixer things and he's talking to another dad, also dropping his daughter off. And, that he, and so Steve, making conversation, said to that dad, what are your hopes? Like what are your hopes for your daughter's time here at college? And this guy said to him, you know, all I want is for her to be happy. And Steve Hainer's response to that, which I've never forgotten and has haunted me for 20 years, so you're welcome, I'm going to share it with you, and now it will haunt you for the next 20 years of your life. Steve Hainer said, and I looked at that father and I said, oh, I want so much more than that for my daughter. Which I'm sure he delivered in his characteristic grace. But like that is, right, I just want my daughter to be happy. And he's like, oh, I want so much more than that. And so as I'm praying over the years and I pray for my kids, Lord, may, may they meet with encouragement today. It's like Steve Hayner's been in the back of my head going, is that it? Is that all you want for your kids is for them to meet with encouragement? And I've had this sense like there is more because they're not always met with encouragement. And what else do I pray? And I faltered to be able to finish that sentence. Taya, may you meet with encouragement today. And if you don't, if it's the Lord's will that you have some kind of struggle today, God, could you use that in some way in her life? Like this vague, like I don't know how to finish that sentence. Being in Second Thessalonians over the last couple of weeks which I'm really thankful that you guys invited me to come and gave me this passage. It's made me hang out in it, and I've kind of realized I haven't known how to finish the prayer because I've had an inadequate theology of suffering. And Paul has an adequate theology of suffering, which informs how he prays for the church in Thessalonica. It informs what he looks for and what he celebrates. And so I love, th- I love this passage because it has like, changed my life in the last two weeks. It's changed how I'm praying for my kids, how I'm thinking about my own life. Uh, and uh, so let's take a look and see what is Paul's mature theology of suffering. How does that inform how he prays for them? And what difference could that make for us in our lives? So Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. It's his second letter to them. They're new believers. They they haven't been in church very long or they haven't been Christians very long. It's his second letter and there's kind of three basic presenting issues why he's writing the letter. Uh, Number one is they have some confusion about the second coming of Jesus, and he wants to help them clarify that and think, think beautifully about the second coming of Jesus. The second thing is that there are some members of their community, there's kind of a, it seems almost like a trend of people quitting their jobs and just living off the generosity of other Christians in the church. Like people who could be working jobs, had jobs previously, but just chose, I'd rather not work, and I'd rather just live off your generosity. And so he's also writing to address that. And then the third presenting issue, why he's writing to them, is to help them understand and deal with the reality that they are in a season of struggle. And they're being persecuted and afflicted. And he wants to help them to know how to think about their suffering. They're not mean, being met with encouragement. And he wants to know them to know how to think about that. And he's praying for them with that in mind. Now he begins his prayer for them. In a similar place to what I have been praying for my kids. So I'm a little bit validated. Uh, Look at verse 2 again. And you see here, uh, he begins right at the beginning of the letter. Uh, He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this, it's a prayer of blessing, right? Grace be upon you, peace be upon you. This is very similar to my like knee-jerk prayer for my kids. Like I want all good things for you. I want you to be met with encouragement. I want blessings to be upon you. And that is a beautiful, right thing to pray for ourselves, for the people we love, for our kids, our grandkids. It is right to just want God's blessings. Um, uh, The the last 18 months about, I've continued to pray. Now, only one of my children lets me tuck them in anymore. It's the the middle schooler. And it's actually surprising. He makes us tuck him in. Like, I would have thought he would have given up on that a while ago. uh, But he's very insistent. And sometimes it's annoying. So I'm, I'm just... He's not here. I can be honest about this. Uh, because sometimes I watch sports. And I have a comfortable couch, and, and there's a, a thing that I pull. And I've had the couch for a long time, but it still works. You pull it, and your feet go up like this. And I'll be watching sports, and Victor will brush his teeth, and he'll go, hey, Dad. And that means you got to tuck me in now. And, like, sometimes, and this is, I know this is terrible, but sometimes I'm like, ah, like, can you just come here and I can hug you? Like here at the couch, and then you just go to bed. But he's very insistent. He likes being tucked in, and so I go in, and this is our routine. I'll sit on his bed, and then he like he has a lot of words. So he he's an extrovert. He has he has he's not at his quota. He has more words to get to process his day, and it's great. We have spiritual conversations, deep conversations. It's wonderful. And then, and then when he's kind of slowed the motor down, and he said all his words, I'll put my hand on his head, and I pray, would you be met with encouragement? But for the last 18 months, that's what I was going to tell you, um, I've stolen some words from a song. Do any of you know Josh Geralt's singer-songwriter? Some of you do. You, you need to, just a very thoughtful, deep Christian who, who's writing great music. He has a song called Benediction, which is a song he wrote to pray over his kids. And I remember listening to it one time, and I was like, I want those words, And so I stole some of them. So the last 18 months, this is our bedtime routine. And Victor always wants me to tuck him in, not Wendy. And so I sit on his bed, the words, and I put my hand on his head, and I pray Josh Garrell's lyrics. I, I pray, Victor, may all your days shine brightly and all your nights be filled with peace wherever you lay down to sleep. Aren't those great words? Yeah, now you want to check out Josh Garls. He's, he's great. I would say in the boring parts of the sermon that are coming up, like just look it up uh, on your phone. He's great. Download it. And so there's, there's something beautiful, there's something beautiful about praying this prayer. May all your days shine brightly. I want all of them to shine brightly. I want all of your nights to be filled with peace wherever you lay down to sleep. And that's typically where I end. Paul keeps going from there. Look at what he prays next. So then he goes on and he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. So like in our prayers, I'm thanking God for you. As is right. Why? Why am I praying prayers of thanks? Notice what he, what he writes. He said, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your, and can we read the next word together? steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. It's interesting what he's saying because basically what Paul's saying is like, man, it like rocks that you guys are struggling right now. <laughs> like, t- I'm telling everyone about it. We're boasting about your hard season that you're in right now. And I'm thanking God for it. It kind of makes you wonder like, what? What kind of mature theology of suffering informs Paul like, yes. And it's this, There were three things that he is noticing in their life that he gives God thanks for. Three things that in the midst of suffering, Paul looks for and celebrates when he sees them. Faith, love, and the S word. Can we say it again? Steadfastness. In particular, in those verses, he says, I have noticed that your faith, which is trust, your faith is actually growing in the midst of your difficult season. And I've noticed that your love, your ability to be generous with other people is actually increasing in your difficult season. And I've noticed that you are steadfast. Those are the three things. Unless you think like, well, maybe these were random things. And Paul, when he went to write the letters, like, I don't know, like, what should I? I don't know, I guess they have faith. I'll, you know, I'll put that. Unless you think these are random things, these are three specific things that Paul looks for. Let's turn the page backwards in our Bibles And look at his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. This is some of the opening words. So this is the the first epistle, the first letter he wrote. And I think you're going to see some similarities. He wrote, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning mentioning you in our prayers. And then notice what he's praying for. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and... Paul is saying that in the midst of suffering... There are three beautiful things that happen in the life of a believer that we should long for, pray for, and celebrate when they, when they are there. Hope, or a faith, love, and steadfastness. And so I can pray for my daughter. Taya, may all your days shine brightly and all your nights be filled with peace. And if they're not, I pray that your faith would grow. Faith is trust, of course, trust in God. And we can pray that our trust in God, our nearness to God, our leaning on God, the, having that rope and knowing he has me, that that would actually grow if times are difficult. And then secondly, we can pray that love would increase. And of course, we all know, and you've experienced this, when you're suffering, it's hard to love other people, right? Even those of us who are like nice people in regular weather, when we're suffering, we get meaner, right? Have you ever noticed that? You get short and you're impatient with other people. And, and one of the things we can pray, I can pray, you know, Father, may Simon meet with encouragement today. And if he doesn't, would you increase his ability to love the people around him in spite of that? I can celebrate that. I can say, Simon, I'm, I know you're having a tough season and I just want you to know, I see how kind you are being to your brother and sister. And I know you're going through a tough time. That's beautiful that you're able to love in the midst of this. And then finally, the S word? Steadfastness. steadfastness. The presence of steadfastness, which some Bibles will translate this perseverance. You may have that in your Bible. Uh, the King James, the great King James, uh, as it translates it, and, and therefore the language that's used when we translate a lot of the original writings of people who are talking about this is Patience. But it's a little different because patience for us, that English word, like even this counts as patience. Well, I'm not yelling, right? So that's patience. Does that make sense? That's, that's not quite as robust as what Paul is writing about here. The Greek word in the Koine Greek here that Paul uses is hoopamones. Can we all say that word? Hupomones. Uh It literally means to bear up underneath a weight, that there's a weight and that you're bearing up under it. Your knees are not buckling. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. You're bearing up underneath it. Are there any runners in here? People who like actually enjoy running long distances? I know. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> as. Every runner knows about hupomones. Because to run is to experience pain. Willingfully. That's what I don't understand. But runners experience the pain. But then what? You keep running. It's hoopamones. It's where it's bearing up under a weight and not giving up. In a word, it's stubbornness. That's steadfastness. It's stubbornness. Like, I'm, there's a weight here, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to be strong. My knees aren't going to buckle. And so that is, you, you see how beautiful this, this theology of Paul's and this practice of prayer that Paul has, how helpful that is for all of us? Like, in our own lives, if you're going through a season of struggle maybe health, something with your job, something in your family, whatever it is, or if, if your child is like, for example, in middle school, whatever the struggle might be, um, or what, whatever it is you're going through, that, that we can, rather than just like, take it all away, God, and, and I pray for blessing, and we can start there, and it's okay to pray for grace and peace, and Lord, take the struggle away, but, but in the midst of it, Father, I'm praying for faith, That our trust would grow. I'm looking for that in me. I'm struggling right now. And Father, would you increase my trust in you? Help me lean on you even more. Increase my ability to love even more. And give me stubbornness in your name. So I pray for Victor, like hanging out in this, this is messing with me. And I love it because I, like hanging out in 2 Thessalonians, I feel like I finally have an answer for Steve Hayner. I finally know how to finish the prayer. And so I've been doing that. This week, I've been praying for Victor every night, except when I was here. And, and, and my prayers have changed. And so I've, I've, he talks and does the words. And then, and then I, I put my hand on his head. This is what happened. I put my hand on his head and I say, Victor, may all your days shine brightly and all your nights be filled with peace wherever you lay down to sleep. But if you meet with struggle, may God grow your trust in him May God increase in you your ability to love others. And may he make you stubborn and steadfast. Amen. Victor has not given me any commentary on the change in the prayer. I love it. Because I feel like I'm finally finishing the prayer. I feel like uh, Thessalonians is forcing me. This is why I'm so grateful you asked me to teach. On, I wasn't going to study this. But I feel like it's... I feel like my theology of suffering is being filled out by hanging out in this letter. And I know what to look for in my life and what to celebrate and what to pray for. And so for all of us who are here, and we could just stop here, that's fruit enough, right, from the passage. If whatever struggle you're going through, when you go through a season of struggle, if you're close to someone who's not being met with encouragement, this gives you something to actively pray for and intercede for in their life and look for uh, for God to do in their lives. This is so powerful. Uh, personally, but I would like to go. A little, you thought, oh, the sermon's over, great. I would like to go. I said we could stop there. I didn't say we were going to stop there. <laughs> you can download Josh Gerald's now if you want to do that. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that this theology and that Paul's counsel to us is something that we desperately need as a church. The reason for that is there's different seasons in the life of the church, right? Paul writing to young Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, he said, preach the gospel in season and out of season, implying that there are seasons when the gospel is in season and accepted and lauded and trusted. And there are seasons when the gospel is out of season, when it's not trusted and people don't like it and maybe it's vilified. And Paul's commentary, Paul's comment, I mean, what his implication is, the weather's going to change. There's going to be times when, when the gospel is in season and being a Christian makes you fit in, and there's going to be times when it's out of season and being a Christian is going to make you not fit in. And, and, and he doesn't give them any sort of like, here's how to change the weather, because we can't. It's up to God. That's the other part of this that we're not spending as much time on when it's like, listen, it's up to God uh, who believes and who doesn't, and, 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 and they're going to have to reckon with God. The weather's up to God. I've, I'm becoming inc- increasingly convinced That we in the West are living in a season when the gospel is, let's put it this way. I don't want to overstate my case. The gospel is less in season now in our country than it was 50 years ago. I think that'd be safe to say. Um, Now, asterisks, there are actual places in the world where Christians are being killed and arrested for being Christians. So let's not pretend that that's where we are, but we are in a place where the weather's changing. It's been changing for about 100 years, and that feels a certain way to us. And, and it, it feels a certain way where uh, anytime time uh, you're in a season of suffering, you're taking it on the chin for your faith, or, or struggling for anything for that matter, really there are two human responses, right? It's in our limbic system. You don't even think about it. If you're taking it on the chin, you're either going to fight or you're going to flight, You're either going to punch back or you're going to try to escape. And this is the case for persecuted Christians in the early church, right? They were tempted to either go to door number one, which is a door of anger and bitterness and punching back at the culture around them. Or the early Christians were going to respond by going to door number two, which was flight, and saying like, I want to withdraw from my neighbors. I don't want to have, I I hate being around people who don't understand me. I just want to hang out with Christians, They were tempted by both of those things. That's why Paul, I believe, wrote this letter to them and said both of those doors are sub-biblical options for you. There's a third way. It's the way of trust and love and stubbornness hanging in there. And that's why he wrote this to them. And I believe we need this word today because the change in culture around us, I believe, is tempting some of us to door number one, to get bitter and angry at the culture around us and punch back at it in any way we can. I think others of us are being tempted by door number two, two, right? One, two. By door number two, to withdraw from society. And like, I just don't wanna, I wanna protect me and mine from the culture around me and have nothing to do uh, with my neighbors and the world around me. And I think we need this reminder that there's a third way. A way of trusting God not minimizing love, not curling in on ourselves, but increasing our love for our neighbors and being steadfast, being stubborn, being under the weight and not giving in. And here's, do you want to get excited about suffering? No. No, can we talk about something else? This is beautiful. This is like meat for us that we need in the midst of this, and it helps guide us, all of us, to, uh, to choose these things. E- even if like, and you may be thinking like, I don't know if I can choose door three. I don't know if I want door three. There may be some of us who are like, I actually really like being bitter at the culture around me. I enjoy it. I nurse it. I like being angry. And there's some of us who are like, no, I'm committed to a strategy of withdrawal. I don't want to have anything to do with the world around me. And so is it really possible? Is it possible to not give in? Is it possible to have our faith grow and have our love increase and have steadfastness? Yes. Here's some good news. Let's look at the uh, other verse uh, that we read this morning. This is towards the end. So, so Paul, Paul's saying, to this end we're praying for you. All the stuff he's just said. That's what I'm praying for you. That it would happen. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good, every work of faith. Let's read the next three words together. By his power. It's only going to happen by his power, he goes on, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you and I can avoid bitterness and say no to the temptation of withdrawal is by his power and according to his grace. Paul says that's possible, though. Paul says by his power, according to his grace, you and I can avoid those temptations and choose door number three and say, God, I'm not gonna give up. I'm I'm not gonna give an inch of space for bitterness in my heart. I'm gonna choose to trust you I'm going to choose to love my neighbors even more, even though they look at me weirder now because I'm a Christian. I'm going to love them even more, and I'm going to be stubborn. I'm not giving up. That's possible through Jesus. And here, you ready for the exciting part? It's what Paul said. He says, when this happens, God will be glorified in you. To be glorified, that, that means that when we choose door three in the midst of suffering, that, and people see that, they get a bigger impression of God than they had previously We're like brand ambassadors, if you will. And when people see us choose door three, glory goes to God. People get a bigger picture of God, and people may even want to come into the church because of how they see us unaccountably responding with trust and love and stubbornness. This happens before. This happened before. This is the good news. The early church experienced this. And I think it'd be safe to say can we all agree the early church had it worse than we do? Yeah, I mean, they were being killed. They were being arrested. They were having their goods stolen from them because they were Christians. And yet, in the midst of that, something incredible happened. Origen, who was an early writer in the church, he wrote this. This was his understanding of like the life of the early church, kind of the first 300 years of the church. He put it this way. Origen saw the whole world as a theater filled with spectators, all watching to see how the Christians would respond to persecution. Isn't that an interesting image? That the world is a theater filled with people watching the Christians to see how are they gonna respond when we punch them in the face? And how did they respond? Trust, love, and steadfastness. And that did something incredible. Glory did go to God. Tertullian, who's another early writer, he wrote that Christian patience... Hupamones, right? Steadfastness, Christian patience was get ready to gasp, exceedingly attractive. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Lactantius called it invincible patience, unstoppable. Justin called it strange patience. He said it's weird, and it gets people's attention. It intrigues them, and they go, "Well, what's going? Why are they still smiling?" How come they're still smiling? What's going on? Felix commented that because of this beautiful response of hupomones, that pagans were wanting to join the ranks of Christians. Paul's right. It happened in history. When they chose this way by the power of God and according to his grace, glory went to God. And people streamed into the church. Alan Crider has a new book. I recommend you read it. It's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Subtitle... The improbable rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. You know, historians have been trying to crack this neck forever. Like, how did this, like, this, like minority illegal religion grow so exponentially in 300 years when it was illegal and you were being killed for being it? it History has been trying to understand that. Alan Crider makes the case, and I think convincingly so, that the reason that the church grew was because of the response of the Christians to persecution and suffering. It was attractive, it was beautiful, it was intriguing, it was compelling, and it made people lean in and go, something else must be going on inside of you. There's no good reason for you to keep loving me, and yet you are. And people streamed into the church. And here's what I've been wondering lately. I wonder if it could happen again. I wonder if it could happen in our country. That if that God could actually, by his power, according to his grace, help us not give in to the temptation of anger, not give in to the temptation of withdrawal, but to say, I'm gonna stay here. God has put me here in my community. And I'm gonna have my trust in God grow. I am going to love people even more. And I'm gonna be more stubborn than the enemy. What if we did that? What would happen to Colorado Springs if everyone here started living strange patience? That's something worth praying for, isn't it? Will you join me in praying for that? <laughs> Father, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thankful that you wanted me not just to study this, but preach it four times so I'd finally hear it. And, and, and I thank you for this, how you don't leave us alone in an in, in incomplete understanding of suffering or a naive understanding of suffering. So thank you for this richness, for this solid food that you feed us through your word this morning. Uh, we do confess to you uh, the ways we are tempted to be bitter at um, our suffering, whether, whether it's um, individual suffering just circumstantially in our lives or this kind of meta um, season that the church is in. We confess how we're tempted to be angry. Would you save us from that temptation? Lead us not into that temptation fight. And we confess to you how we're tempted to withdraw and have less to do with non-Christians. Father, lead us not into that temptation. But Father, would you, by your power, according to your grace, would you grow our trust in you? Would you increase our love? And would you give us stubbornness in the name of your son? We pray all this in his name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.